Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 9th December 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, US prospects for Sarepta's DMD gene therapy, looking at price increases in the US, AZI plans US CMS coverage for Licanimab, vaccine impact as China rolls back COVID-0 policies, and ex-Novo Nordisk CEO Mads Uvlison shares his career and life lessons. The US FDA is to decide by 29th May 2023 on whether or not to approve SRP 9001, Therapeutics gene therapy for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which many hope will be a breakthrough against the debilitating and eventually fatal inherited muscle-wasting disease. Andrew McConaughey writes the FDA has decided to review the drug's data early via a priority review, well before Sarepta's Phase 3 placebo-controlled Embark study results are expected from October 2023. This will create some uncertainties and questions for the regulator, the biopharma company and patients and their families. Probably the biggest concern is that once given the green light under accelerated approval, it could be withdrawn again if it fails to confirm its value, a development seen with numerous cancer drugs this year. Nevertheless, all parties appear to think the accelerated approval pathway is a risk worth taking. Speaking in early November, before the FDA had granted the Priority Review Accelerated Approval filing, Sarepta's CEO, Doug Ingram, said he believed SRP 9001 was an ideal candidate for the rapid appraisal. Patients need this therapy now, not someday or eventually. It irreversibly robs children of their muscle and their function on an hourly and daily basis, ultimately killing them, he said. The risk of granting accelerated approval is fleetingly small, while the risk of harm to Duchenne patients if we did not seek accelerated approval is certain, is severe and is indelible. Sarepta had originally expected the FDA to wait for the Phase 3 study results before considering an approval, but has been quick to recast Embark as a post-approval confirmatory trial. The study is fully enrolled, with 125 patients aged 4 to 7 years, an age group in which muscle deterioration has begun, but individuals are still able to walk. The FDA granted accelerated approval to three earlier Sarepta exon-skipping Duchenne drugs, starting in 2016 with Exondis 51 and followed by Viondis 53 and Amondis 45. All three approvals were based on the surrogate endpoint of dystrophin increase in skeletal muscle observed in some treated patients. Trials confirming whether or not the therapies help slow the clinical progression of Duchenne have still not read out, with the first of these expected in 2024. The article also looks at the studies supporting Sarepta's filing, if the FDA will convene an advisory committee, and SRP 9001's potential label and pricing. Sarepta has moved quickly in recent months to prepare for a possible mid-2023 launch of SRP 9001. It raised more than $1 billion via a convertible senior notes fundraising during the Q3 quarter, to support what Ingram believes could be the most consequential development ever for the company and treatment of Duchenne. Analysts at SVB have estimated that gene therapy could capture most of the market share in the therapy area, forecasting its revenues to reach $3.6 billion in global peak sales by 2028.
Bausch Health Companies Zivaxan, Johnson & Johnson's Invega, Sustena Trinza and Amgen's Prolia were the three drugs determined by the Institute for Clinical and Economic Review in the US or ICER to have had net price increases in 2021 that contributed the most to US spending and did not have adequate new evidence to support any price increase. All three drugs are older mature medicines that the US FDA approved more than a decade ago, Jessica Merrill writes. ICER released its report on unsupported price increases of prescription drugs in the US on 6th December, highlighting seven drugs that lacked adequate new evidence to support 2021 price increases, even after rebates and other concessions. The seven drugs cost the US health system an additional $804.6 million beyond what spending would have been if their net prices had remained flat, according to the drug pricing watchdog. The latest report marks the fourth year ICER has tracked unsupported price increases of pharmaceuticals in the US. Zivaxan was also included on its list of top net price increase offenders last year as well, though notably AbbVie's Humira was not included on the list this year for the first time since ICER began issuing the report in 2019. Last year, the 9.6% net price increase of Humira contributed by far the most to the increase in US drug spending. Zifaxan was the biggest contributor to US spending this year, with a 12.14% net price increase, but at a substantially lower amount of $174.7 million. Among the drugs that ICER determined to have experienced the highest net price increases in 2021, though they did not necessarily contribute the most to US spending, were Zivaxan, with a 12.14% net price increase, and Novartis' Promacta, with an 11.46% increase. The three drugs ICER highlighted as having the highest list price increases in 2019 to 2020 that had the highest average per patient annual increase in spending due to price increase were Ipsen's growth hormone Somatuline Depot, CGEN's cancer drug Adcetris and Horizon Therapeutics gout drug Cristexa. Azi is confident that it has the necessary data to convince the US Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services to grant broader coverage for its Biogen-partnered Alzheimer's drug candidate Lecanemab if the US FDA approves it next month, setting it up for a potentially much better commercial outlook than the firm's Adjuhelm faced. Many in the Alzheimer's field, impressed with the quality and amount of data presented from the Phase 3 Clarity AD clinical trial, are optimistic about lecanemab's chances as well. Manjit Axon writes, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, issued a national coverage decision providing for coverage with evidence development in response to Biogen Azai's request for Medicare coverage of Aduhelm, their antibody that received accelerated approval from the FDA in June 2021, based on a surrogate biomarker of amyloid clearance from the brains of Alzheimer's patients. The NCD did not result in broad coverage for Adjuhelm, and Biogen has stopped commercialising the product in the US as a result. Medicare will only cover anti-amyloid therapies granted accelerated approval in the setting of a clinical trial, but CMS said it may reconsider its NCD decision on a case-by-case basis as data become available showing clinical benefit for patients. 
Observers have said the Phase 3 Clarity AD data for lecanemab are likely to convince the FDA to approve the drug and could convince CMS to cover the therapy. Azai has a BLA seeking accelerated approval for the drug based on Phase 2b results pending with the FDA, with a decision expected by 6th January next year. The company plans to file a BLA seeking full approval of the amyloid protofibril targeting antibody based on the Clarity AD results before the end of its 2022 fiscal year, which ends on 31st March. As Azai approaches CMS about covering lecanemab and its related costs, the company believes that each aspect of its Phase 3 clinical trial should answer the questions the agency has about whether this particular anti-amyloid therapy is worth the investment on behalf of patients. I think the NCD document does lay out several key questions that the CMS is asking. Ivan Chung, who's Azai's US CEO and Global Alzheimer's Disease Officer, said in an interview with Scrip at the recent clinical trials on Alzheimer's disease meeting. For example, do we see clinical benefits being accrued over time? And you saw those 18-month curves showing how the benefits expand over time. You see the efficacy picture not through one scale, but through multiple ways of looking at that to show the consistency of the benefits. And of course, our safety profile is very important. CMS also wants to see data that are as representative as possible of the entire Medicare population, and Azai has sorted its data into multiple patient subgroups to show efficacy across African-American and Hispanic patients, and in patients taking anticoagulants and those on drugs that treat Alzheimer's. There are also analyses of patients by other diseases that they are also being treated for, such as diabetes, depression and hypertension. CMS has to make a decision and the best we can do is provide all the information available to CMS and let them know how all these data are indeed answering the questions you laid out in the NCD document, Cheung said. In a rapid and drastic switch, China has scratched some requirements for nucleic acid testing, a key component of its COVID-0 policies in an apparent first step towards easing the strict rules some three years after the first SARS-CoV-2 infections were reported in Wuhan. But generally, low vaccination rates, particularly in some parts of the population, and other lingering concerns may complicate a rapid reopening of the economy. Without herd immunity through vaccines and infections, the country also remains vulnerable to a spike in cases and death rates and many residents still appear hesitant to go out despite the relaxations, Brian Yang writes. Since the early days, the Chinese government has emphasised rapid vaccine development, turning to state-owned giant China National Biological Products and the smaller public firm Sinovac Biotech to develop inactivated virus-based candidates. While the mature technology allows rapid development, it has the notable drawback of lower efficacy and protection rates. But China nevertheless has one of the highest vaccination rates globally in adults over 18 of 90%. In 2021, the country approved the same vaccines for booster use, but promotion was comparatively low-key. To address the challenges of reopening amid this situation, experts say China must act quickly to get its vulnerable population boosted and offer better protection by promoting fourth shots to the general population. The other aspect is access to more effective mRNA vaccines, 
for which China has been pondering approval for more than 18 months. In July 2021, a Shanghai Fosun Pharmaceutical Group executive announced the pending approval of its mRNA shot, which was licensed from BioNTech, but there has been no word from the company since then on further progress. In the meantime, China is set to grant a green light soon to a domestically developed mRNA vaccine from Wildvax Biotechnology and Abogen and the Academy of Military Medical Science. Zhang Wenhong, who's Infectious Disease Director of the Huaxin Hospital in Shanghai, urged a new rollout of heterologous booster shots to the elderly since they are more likely to have preconditions, higher severe cases and death rates. These might include an adenovirus-based vaccine from CanSino Biologics, also available in inhaled form, and Zhifei's recombinant protein-based vaccine. However, the elderly population in particular are still seen to be quite vaccine-hesitant and reluctant to leave their homes, complicating any major vaccine push. Meanwhile, the use of domestic and imported antiviral drugs is also still lacking in China, due to recent cases in the country being predominantly moderate and the majority asymptomatic due to the prevalence of the Omicron variant. Finally, a profile of Novo Nordisk's ex-CEO and winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award at the recent Scrip Awards in London, Mads Evlissen, delves into not only his influence on the development of the Danish diabetes specialist, but also his own core values. In a wide-ranging interview with Joe Shorthouse, originally published in Scripps' sister publication, In Vivo, Evelyson talks about his upbringing, education, Nordic values, approach to people, love of the arts, and his legacy. On people, for example, he is evangelical about opportunities for employees to realise their potential. I believe that each and every person in your company has a unique potential for contributing to the progress of the company, It is the most important task of any CEO or leader to realise that energy, to set that energy free, he explained. But to untap that potential, he said, there need to be some rules of the game. Managers and the senior leadership team need to listen to employees as much as employees need to listen to their managers, he explained. At a certain period, Evelyson was concerned about the extent to which managers around the company were living up to their obligations regarding the people working at Novo Nordisk. He installed facilitators to audit company culture around the world. These facilitators came from within the company, understood the company values and wanted to help. Once they had lived in a facility or division for a week, they would create an action plan that was followed up later. You have to push decisions and initiative to the periphery of your company because that's where people really know what the problems are. That's where people know what the solutions are, Evelyson explained. Does that mean you make mistakes? Certainly, but smart mistakes. That's a price for progress. When asked about his legacy, octogenarian Evelyson pauses. He hasn't thought about this question before. I'm still proud of having played on the current Novo Nordisk team. The way the leadership team, since I've stepped down, has continued to develop the company, both business-wise and stewardship-wise, is admirable. I really like to say that we've been on the same team. That's all for this week. All these stories are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and form just a fraction of Scripps' global coverage over the past week. 
Log in or take a free trial to see what you're missing. This is also the last edition of the Five Must Know Things podcast for 2022. Thank you very much for joining me throughout the year and best wishes for the holidays and festive season. Bye for now and see you again in 2023.